You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You never really know what you have in town until you look, and that's what happened with me and Matt DeCourcy. Matt DeCourcy is a millionaire living right here in Kansas City, but about 20 years ago, he had no idea what he wanted to do. He was working for the man and decided one day it's time to go back to school and change things in life. And over the last 20 years, he's gone from ticket broker to Gigabooks founder, and now he's also the founder of FullScale, a company that employs people right here in Kansas City, but also internationally as well. He's one of the great startup success stories that is taking place right here in our town. Here's our conversation with local legend, yeah, I'll call him that, Matt DeCourcy. American Express, $8,000 and a bedroom. And now here you are sitting as one of the, I guess, one of the great entrepreneurs of Kansas City. How the hell did that all happen? Well, first off, Bob, thanks for having me in. And uh, the story you're talking about, I actually wrote a book about, and you're referring to Million Dollar Bedroom. Yeah. Which, man, you, you look back at your story as an entrepreneur and uh, being someone that I, I openly claim I don't believe in luck, but we might have been a little lucky mm-hmm. on that. Um, you know, the, that particular story is, is really where I got, I, I grew roots as an entrepreneur. I started a, a business in the extra bedroom of my home and I lived in Indianapolis at the time and we had no clue what we we're doing. We had no money. We had no experience and somehow turned that into $30 million of revenue. What were you doing though before that? Like, were you working for the man? Like, what were you doing <laughs> where you decided this is it? Because I'm going to say I'm envious of you because you you had that foresight and drive to say screw this I'm going to go do this like how how did you get to that point What were you doing before that Well, I, I did. When you say working for the man, uh, I worked in the music industry for eight years. And when I tell people the music industry, they're oh, were you, are you a musician? No, um, I worked for Roland. That's the world's largest maker of uh, electronic musical instruments. And I. I covered uh i had a 13 state sales territory i lived in my car i was in a hotel 180 nights a year and i was over it so i quit and i was in my early 30s and i was now quitting the second job in my life that most people work their whole life to get and people are telling me i'm crazy mm-hmm. and i decided to go back to school as an adult um and, which is not typical because i was already doing well but i went back to school and after about a little over a year, reality sunk in and I hadn't made any money for a while and I was paying for school and I, I mean, I, I had to figure something out. And uh, in that particular case, I, I refer to that as my accidental business. I, I had been looking for something to do and, and this is 2009 in the timeline. At that point, uh, to give you a frame of reference, iPhone 2. Okay. That was the current iPhone model. Gotcha. And uh, things like apps and the internet and stuff like that were still relatively new. Um, and it, I, 
I had always been a big fan of the band Fish. And they had been on hiatus for four or five years and decided to make a comeback. And they were playing in Indianapolis. And I went to buy some tickets. And I didn't get any. I was like, oh, man. So the next day, I uh, tried to buy some tickets for a different show. And I figured, oh, I'm clever. I'm resourceful. Maybe I'll trade them or do something like that. And I ended up selling them on eBay. And I made a couple hundred bucks. And the light bulb popped over my head. And I was like, huh, let's uh, maybe try that again. Uh, that turned into an eight-year history at this point of being a ticket broker. And even with that, I didn't take a typical path. I've always referred to any business that I've owned or operated or been involved with as a sales and marketing company that happened to and then fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. So we were a sales and marketing company that happened to sell event tickets, but uh, we built online marketplaces, did a lot of just digital marketing and stuff like that that – um, I talk about in the book Million Dollar Bedroom. Yeah. And, uh, and we learned some really tough lessons along the way. But, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It, it, it had to have been. But, but, but I think the, the ball's on you to go, to go out and do that and to, to quit a great job, to be married, to have the responsibility, and, and to be able to say, screw this, I, I want to be happy. How do you get to that point as a person where you look at that and you go, yeah, this is the acceptable thing to do? You know, I think if you talk to people that are athletes, they'll tell you that they knew that that's always what they wanted to do and they were passionate about it. Um, for those that I consider my peers as entrepreneurs, they say the same thing. You know, I always knew that I was going to be an entrepreneur, that I was going to own businesses. I just didn't really know what. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to add a little, uh, a little spice to the story, you know, I, I still have not graduated from college. So I, I didn't have the credentials and a lot of that stuff that people had and, you know, you grow up and, well, I grew up in Leawood mm-hmm. where they very much will tell you, hey, if you don't go to college, you're not going to make it and stuff like that. So, I, you know, I believed that lie for a while and I had to kind of overcome that and uh, worked my way into getting a job at a place like Roland and um, kind of sold myself out of doubt, you know, literally. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, got to a point where, I mean, honestly, I just kind of felt fed up. Um and it wasn't with the company that I was working for. It was with the situation. I just wanted to be in control of my own whatever. So, you know, with that, um, a lot of learning, man. A lot of learning. Very much self-taught. I, I don't think that now I, in the five schools that I went to on my way to being a junior, mm-hmm. right. <laughs> which is about where I'm at. That's fantastic. Um, uh, you know, that, I don't think that much of what I was taught in school, and one of those schools actually uh, – because of my job at Roland, I got accepted into a top 10 business school. That's actually why I quit the job. I wasn't expecting to get in. What school? Uh, uh, Kelly School of Business. Oh, it's, nice. Uh, for, with Indiana University. Okay. So Ed Kelly was the, uh, he's the guy that, he's the founder of Steak and Shake and the original importer of Smirnoff Vodka. Okay. And he gave like 200 million bucks to the school. And they, I mean, it just made it a great school. But I got in there at a state school rate. So I've been living in Indianapolis for the job. So I was like, oh, wow. You get that letter and you're just expecting to get rejected. But I, I wrote like that, that essay and I, I wish I still had it because it's like, yeah, I'm not your typical person. And I'm quitting the job that I will probably go back to school to only try and get again after I graduate. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I got in and uh, I was in there for about, you know, a year and a half and started the business that we talk about in Million Dollar Bedroom, which was the precursor to everything I do now. Uh, most people want to talk to me about that or that story because it's fascinating and i did write a book about it but 
I think what I'm doing now with my current company, Full Scale, is probably going to end up being the best story. Um, and you know that it, that business, we're coming up on our 200th employee in less than two years. That's that's remarkable. Wow. It's uh, it's a blur. All right, so I, I want to get back to Million Dollar Bedroom yeah, because sure. there's a big question I do have, but you, you brought up full scale. That's one of my deals. For people who don't know, what are you guys? I mean, you have 200 employees. you got offices not just in Leewood, Kansas, but in other parts of the globe as well. Correct. And you're a company that, that is growing and, and really putting Kansas City on the map when it comes to startups and when it comes to the technology industry. Well, you know, Kansas City was was on the map for startups and tech long before we did full scale. But that said, whether it's Kansas City or any city in the United States right now, there's a massive shortage of, of tech talent. It's very well documented. The, the Wall Street Journal just had an article, and uh, there are 350,000 unfillable tech jobs in the U.S. Wow. Meaning we just have not, we don't, have not vocationally trained people to do what they needed to do. Now, in Million Dollar Bedroom, I talk about in 2009, I hired my first employee in the Philippines. And I had employees there for quite a while, and it wasn't until uh, uh, two years ago. Uh, I In Million Dollar Bedroom, I interviewed a local entrepreneur named Matt Watson. Mm-hmm. And Matt's well-known for being the founder of Venn Solutions, mm-hmm. which he sold for $150 million before he was 30. Okay, So after entering you know, out, the reason I interviewed him for Million Dollar Bedroom is at one point that business was in his basement and his dad was employee number one. Oh my goodness. So it made, he had his, he had a multi-million dollar bedroom. Right. And uh, so I had a couple of people like that that had stories in there, but Matt and I became friends. And um, when I first met Matt, he was opposed to the, you know, he has another software company now that you know, everything Matt touches goes big. Um, I think they're like in the ink, I think they're number 300 on the Inc. 500 list now or something. So he knows what he's doing. But he, when I first met him, he was uh, very opposed to hiring developers that weren't here. And over the time that I got to know him, the, the dynamic changed so much that he finally said, you know what, I think I'd like to try to do something in your office in Cebu City, Philippines, mm-hmm. which is where he'd been for a while. So I made him buy half my company. Yep, which is what, which is why you start a business to get somebody <laughs> to buy it. Yes. Well, I said if you're going to be my partner here, he wanted to try to buy part of it, and I said, no, man, you need to come in halfway. You need to, and and you're gonna you're gonna pay a little bit for all the work that I've put in, but I gave him a discount uh-huh. in the end. But uh, our original idea was uh, I made him buy half of a company uh, that I founded called Gigabook. It's online appointment booking. You you know how annoying it is to ask people, hey, what time are you available? I don't know. What time are you available? Right. Well, we solve that problem. Here's a link. Pick the time. Book it. You know, I'll call you when that, when that time arrives. So Matt bought half of that company with me uh, or f- became my partner. And our goal was to start uh, to build a team for his current company, Stackify. We were going to mark the price up a little bit and our burn rate or our net or deficit in spending compared to revenue because gigabook was still pretty early wasn't going to exist and it wasn't didn't take long because of a podcast that we host called startup hustle mm-hmm. and which you've been a guest twice a couple of times yeah yeah, yeah you're easily the best guest we've ever uh, no co- no question yeah. yeah um but we had local entrepreneurs telling us they said i can't find people to work at my business and it's becoming a problem or they were losing people or the price of the local 
uh, talent that they would hire had gotten astronomical. And a, a good entrepreneur listens for echoes. And you hear, and when I say an echo, it's the same thing over and over and over. And, and when you hear the echoes, there's a problem that's worth solving. Mm-hmm. So we said, huh, maybe we should try to offer our services to other startups. So in, in April of 2018, we said, okay, we'll take on a beta client. And then in uh, May, we took on another one. In June, I sat down with Watson, and, I, and this was a funny story because I took him out to lunch, and I said, hey, Matt, I don't think I should spend any more time working on Gigabook. And he said, dude, I just bought half the company. And I was joking because that was the segue to telling him, I think we should probably be offering tech services. I think the demand for this is huge. And at that, at that point, there was an estimated 250000 open jobs and that's ballooned up to 350 so it's actually getting wider like but in a, in a year plus i mean yeah, that's incredible so, so what we did there was we've created a user-friendly uh, system so we specialize in recruiting assessing retaining and employing so we make it easy for you to take the the high skilled high talent and often highly paid people you have here and to build a team of remote software talent around them they all mm-hmm. work in the same place they're all in a nice office and over there, we took a very Americanized or Silicon Valley approach. Like we do catered meals for our employees there. They have a massage therapist on staff. Like they have a nicer office than I've got. Mm-hmm. So with that, that's really taken off. And, uh, you know, at the time, I, I said we're just under 200 employees. We expect that to double this year. And we think we'll be around 2,000 total employees within 36 months. And so you guys started this basically at 89th and State Line in a Correct. little office and have become this international company that is, for all intents and purposes, staffing tech jobs for yeah. people. Yeah. And why Why do you suppose there are so many unfilled, undermanned tech jobs that are out there right now? So it it's it, a great question. Thank you. It, now, I'm just going to – I'm a realist. I've written three books, and two of them have the word realist in the title. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, being idealistic and realistic, completely different. And the, the simple answer to that is, is these foreign countries did a better job 30 years ago at doing what we feel that we're being cutting edge at with STEM. I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old and I take them to, they're like our new STEM program. And I tell our employees about that in the Philippines and they laugh. They're like, you guys are just doing that now. So when you talk to a lot of the, it's a different mentality in some of these countries. And uh, there are pockets of the world, uh, the Philippines, India, and Eastern Europe are the ones. Now the Eastern Europe, uh, we even considered opening an office there. I went to Belarus a couple years ago to check it out. And um, we have these assessment tests for programmers. And the Belarusians were, we thought we were going to have to make new tests because they were so good at it. So I said, why the hell is everyone in Eastern Europe so great at programming? Well, you have to go back 25 years. That was, that was Russia at one point, And they were in the Cold War and they were teaching their kids we can't lose while you and I were in study hall and weightlifting class. Yeah. They were taking a second math class and a second science class. Oh, wow. So they have a huge glut and that's, that's what programming is now. It's engineering, it's science, it's math and algorithms. And you know, why, why we were out playing tag, you know, they were <laughs> working away at learning how to be better at that stuff. So they have a, so it, it, using Eastern Europe as an example, they have a ton of engineers and software people there. 
Um, and a lot of, a lot of companies have set up offices now in the Philippines. Um, you know, 30 years ago, they were very centric with call centers. So the level of the Philippines is the third, has the third largest population of uh, fluent English speakers in the world. So they can communicate Mm -hmm. here and the call center industry got, uh, schools and, and everyone prepping English. So the, the Philippines official business language is English. Wow. I, if you've ever been to Cabo uh-huh. and you go there, I think I've used this example with you before. You go there, all the signs are in English. Everyone's yeah, everything's in English. You're looking around, you're going, I know I'm not in America, but am I? And you can feel like that when you're in the Philippines. Really? So, yeah, most people speak English. Um, and, you know, with professionally in schools there, they identify kids at a young age. So if you're, if you're high aptitude, which would, might be as simple as just them giving an IQ test, mm-hmm. they would literally start pushing those kids towards tech. And if they're not in that, but they have a different kind of aptitude, then they, they train them uh, for English language skills. And then parents, uh, we have some uh, employees that are teaching their kids English only. So that's all they know, and they're brilliant at it because it's, it's, such, it's a big commodity. It's, yeah. it's how they make money. Wow. So the, the, big, the biggest export in the Philippines is labor, uh-huh. and that's call centers and tech. Jeez. Yeah. Wow. All right. So back to million dollar bedroom. How do you make money when you have no money? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, there's, there's a lot of ways to make money when you don't have any. Um, you're going to have to, <laughs> you're going to pay for it a different way. You're going to pay for it with your time. Sure. Um, there's a million things that people do to get started. Uh, there's affiliate marketing. People do content marketing, blogs, stuff like that. Um, really in this day and age, you're going to have to produce something of value like podcasts. You know, podcasts are hot. There's mm-hmm. uh, almost a million podcasts out there and it's a, it's an accessible, uh, way to enter a, a global distribution network. And you can record a podcast and, and have it on the air within a couple of days and have people, you know, our podcast has been listened to in 190 countries, which is what you say, wow. Yeah. Um, but you know, the hard part with that is you have to build an audience and then maybe you could sell subscriptions or promote products or stuff like that. Um, you know, past that, I mean, it's pure hustle at that point. So when we started doing it in 2009, we would use things like blog marketing and we were using the blogs to talk about entertainment. So we might have a blog article about Taylor Swift, Kansas city, Kansas city tickets. Mm -hmm. Taylor Swift is coming to Kansas city. You know, then somewhere in there, there's a link. And when they go buy tickets at wherever they buy them, which ended up later being our own websites, um, we would get a percentage of the, of the sale. Now, if done properly, you can create some ongoing profit centers, uh, that become pretty powerful. But the mistake that people make when it comes, comes to content marketing and making, trying to make money when they don't have any is they do something, they'll write like two articles. I, I'm not, well, I don't have a million followers yet. Well, that's because you don't have a million articles yet. So it's, it's a grind. Yeah. You got to get, get on top of it. And then, um, you know, and, th- and this, in, in the modern world, a lot of people want to be tech founders. And if you don't have any money, there's things even in Kansas City, we have Digital Sandbox, um, Launch KC, different organizations that if you have an idea, they'll help you craft your, 
your pitch mm-hmm. and then maybe give you a grant or get you started. So so when you're sitting there after the the job is done and you're sitting in this million dollar bedroom right now, what was your original plan? Like you, you said you wanted to be an entrepreneur, but like what did you think? You, you, how do you think it's even going to be full scale or gigabooks or any of that? So what did, what were you thinking when you originally made that jump and said, I'm out of this job and I'm going to be an entrepreneur? Uh, I hope I don't go broke. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. You say, what are you thinking? Um, for most entrepreneurs, the reality is, uh, you know, a lot of people are like, well, I want to be an entrepreneur because I want to have more control of my life. Eh, that's not how it's going to work, man. It's going to entrepreneurship controls you. Um, and then often if it doesn't, it just becomes an obsession, which is something else that controls you. But um, through that story, you know, we were just trying, I was just trying to, to make a buck. And, you know, just trying to pay my bills and, mm-hmm. and grow. And you start to realize you're on to something. Um, I, I knew about half. So that was an eight-year story. I knew about halfway through it that it definitely wasn't what I always wanted to do. I ended up walking away from that business, by the way. The which, ticket business. Yeah. yeah. People thought I was crazy. I, I wasn't happy. But I had made enough money that I, I could. I literally reinvented myself. And I mentioned... Uh, uh, becoming friends with Matt Watson mm-hmm. after Million Dollar Bedroom came out. And I went through like six months. Where- so was the Million Dollar Bedroom, was that like the ticket business became a million dollar business for you and that gave you the million dollar bedroom and then you were able to kind of parlay that into everything else? Well, the million dollar bedroom's a little metaphoric in that regard. So that was a house in Indianapolis that would be comparable to like a 1,400 square foot you'd find house that you find in Westport. Okay. Uh, it definitely was not a million dollar bedroom, right. but we generated millions of dollars. That's revenue yeah, that's what I mean. You, yeah. yeah, that's where the money yes. started coming yes. from the ticket business. Yeah, you, and yeah. and with that, we, you know, that started as pretty simple, and uh, as it as it grew legs, we were able to form relationships with teams and venues and stuff like that, and and create a a, a steadier and more reasonable supply chain. Yeah. Yeah, that that that's so that's where the 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 money came from. And then you get tired of that business, you're like I need to do something else. I got to find a way to get reinvent myself as you said. So, how does the idea for Gigabooks full scale and the Startup Hustle podcast like does it just start happening for you bang 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 like once you get it, you've got it type of deal? Uh, I, by the way, I love being on the show cuz I like sports analogies, but yeah. so I as not Veteran players talk about at some point they feel like the game slows down and it, it just, you know, like that ball's not coming as fast right. or I have goosebumps talking about this. Well, you that's what I'm getting that. at. And like all of a but, sudden you hit and then it just continues. It, it does do that as an entrepreneur, but, um, the, you know, for everyone has a different approach at it. Um, I'm, I'm a try 10 things hoping one works entrepreneur. So I'm always trying new stuff mm-hmm. and you sometimes it flies and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you have ships that should be at sea, but you just never get them out of the harbor for mm-hmm. different reasons. But you, you have to, if you take my approach, you have to quickly start learning what is worth pursuing and what isn't because you can't do all of it. But I always like, so you said the million dollar bedroom wasn't just a ticket business. Uh, six months into it, we started building software. We built our own websites. In 2009, I, I created some proprietary software that, uh, that ha- created ticket sites that built themselves, which now isn't high technology, but 10 years ago was hella innovative. Mm-hmm. And uh, then that coupled with blog marketing and different stuff, uh, you know, I mentioned that we hired our first employees in the Philippines. Well, we, you know, we had eight to 10 people there for, well, all the way till full scale 
turned into a couple hundred. And so we were always doing different stuff. So that business that was a, the quote ticket business, we, we were online marketers. We did a whole lot of different stuff, software development, ticket resale, mm-hmm. um, you know, a, a lot of different things. Uh, get, we started Gigabook halfway through it. And I tell the funny story. I, I was, uh, I was getting married and I was supposed to leave the next morning to go to St. Thomas and we had like a 6 a.m. flight and here I am and it's 5 p.m. and I had not dropped the dogs off at the kennel and I'm sitting here thinking my wife my soon-to-be wife gave me one job to get the dogs to the kennel and and I call the kennel at five and no one answered and I was like "Uh oh did I really mess this up and the the I knew the lady that owned the 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 kennel and the boarding place and the you know they did dog washing stuff like that so I got, I jumped in my car. It's like 20 minutes away. The whole, whole way there, I'm cursing. I'm like, why can't I do any of this online? All this different stuff. I got to the, to the, to the place and saw that it was open. I took a huge, oh, thank God, took the dogs in. And there was no one in the store. And I hear a voice in the back of it. And it's, hey, I'm back here. I go in the back and there's a lady washing like a St. Bernard. She's covered in bubbles. The dog's covered in bubbles. And I quickly, I was like, oh, that's why you couldn't answer the phone. But I, I, I'm so obsessed with business and, and often efficiency. And then I hate missed opportunities. So the whole drive home, I, I basically gave her the dogs and ran. I'm like, okay, just thank you for being here. And, you know, headed back to the house. And I was just, I was so bothered by it. I was like, how much business are they missing by not being able to do this online? Blah, 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 blah. So I leave to go get married. I, uh, talk about this new idea I have for the entire trip and the honeymoon. So my wife is, yeah, I'm surprised she even showed up the yeah. next day to the wedding. Right. But, but with that, I realized that we had already built a lot of things that, you know, we had built our own. I mentioned we built software. A lot of people build software for their own business because you can't find things that fit the specific needs that, that you, you want. That you yeah. Have. yeah. So sure. we, we had built things related to marketing, calendars, notifications, reminders. And I was like, oh, we could probably turn this into something cool. So... Um, and that's, that's a, that's an interesting thing. And that's, that's probably one of the bigger mistakes that I made in judgment. I said, we'll get this thing done in six months, by the way, three years later and 400 grand, we generated $1 in revenue. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And, and that wouldn't surprise me now, but I didn't know what I didn't know then. Sure. So, you know, so with Gigabook, that was the, the ticket business and some of that stuff is seasonal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as you realize there's times in different, like people think during the summer that you'd be busy as a ticket broker. No, that's the deadest time of the year. It's gotta be. So we, I need, I always wanted to do things to fill what, uh, to, to fill my excess capacity. So Gigabook was a good thing that we all worked on on the side. And we worked on that for about three years and, uh, made a, another big error in judgment, uh, shortly uh, in 2015, we tried to launch it too early. And you just learn lessons like you hear that some of the, the most brilliant entrepreneurs will say in regards to the first release of your software, if you don't look back at that with absolute terror at what garbage you released, then you hung on to it for too long. And we had hung on to it for too long and didn't get enough user input. So there were some things that we put out there and we just grossly misjudged what people would want. We had yeah. to back up and punt and 
spend more money. And so where, where, where do you, I guess, draw the line then where you're like, I've spent enough money on this, but I'm going to keep going. I mean, I, I, I don't know if I, I read it or, or was listening to, it, but you had like this coin toss moment with your wife where you were going to either heads I win, tails you lose type of thing. And oh, the coin toss c- moment. C- continue to press on. Like, where do you decide I'm going to continue to go on with this and continue to invest into this? So you on a, on the start when you were a guest on Startup Hustle, you told us a story about driving to the middle of Missouri to earn a ten dollar paycheck, right? That after taxes was about seven, seven bucks, right? Right, right, yeah. Okay, so at some point in that drive, you might have thought, why do why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Or maybe when you cast, but the I was check also or, in college, so it was a little bit different. So know? as an entrepreneur, you get you often you find yourself, and some people will call this a tipping point or whatever. It, it it, the ticket business, it hadn't really grown too fast yet. And if you have the ability to make money doing other quote stuff, then, you know, you always have that as the draw, you know, like I could go get a job and I'm a great salesperson. So I could get a job. I could probably make a couple hundred grand a year you know, being a sales director for someone or doing that. So you're sitting there going, I'm not really making any money, but I'm giving that up. So the coin toss moment is basically that moment in a business where you might say, Hey, I'm going to just flip a coin. Heads will keep doing this. B, I'm going to go get a job. And that's a, that's a real thing. And most people hit the side of the coin that says, I have to go back and get a real job because mm-hmm. most startups and entrepreneur, uh, based businesses, they fail. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that coin toss. Um, as far as like when is enough enough? Oh man. I don't think there's a right answer for that. Right. Yeah, I didn't think so. Um, For those that play poker, there's a term, you're pot committed. You've got so much in there, like folding at this point. You're like, ah, I might as well just keep bluffing, and I'm holding a four and a seven offsuit. Right. And so sometimes you have to, you know, being an entrepreneur and a successful startup founder is often not based on regular logic. You know, this, don't fly too close to the sun. My my theory is is if you fly fast enough, you can go right through the center of it and come out the other side unscathed, mm-hmm. like running across the hot coals or whatever to your bare <laughs> I mean, feet. Right? You never know, man. And and you know the the interesting thing with Gigabook is so during with the ticket company, it was always like it was always like the mistress. It wanted to be it wanted to be the first wife. But it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And then it thought it got its chance and then full scale said, no, 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 no. Go back over there. And, and, uh, it's still, it's still going. There's hundreds of businesses that use it, but it doesn't, it no longer gets much of any of my time. Right. So you have to, to answer your question, you have to, if you do multiple things, you have to, you have to learn how to do the things that are most valuable first off and foremost. And that's not always related to money. Um, are you familiar with the term opportunity cost? Mm-hmm. So in, in the fifth college that I went to, easily the best thing I learned. But opportunity cost is the value of the foregone conclusion, uh, the foregone whatever, whatever you decide not to do. So, for example, I'm here recording this podcast with you, which means I'm not available to do something else. Correct. That Whatever that is, it had value on some level, personal, professional, or physical. Who knows? And there's not always a right or wrong answer, but there is something I'm not doing because I'm here. So you have to uh, – we ta- we've talked about being parents and being busy and, like, for you, sports could be 24 hours a day. You mm-hmm. have to draw the line somewhere. Um, but when it comes to the value, you, I mean, if you have multiple things and you're running the company as well, you got to go do the things that, that, that – 
pay the most or or potentially have the highest upside. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you've got the podcast, you've got blogs, all of this stuff. If somebody's listening to this and they're like, what's the best way to get started, to get myself known, to get out there, what would you suggest to them? Because you've done a hell of a job in doing that. Thank you. Um, I would listen to the Startup Hustle podcast. It comes out four days a week. Um, it's had listeners in 190 countries. It's We've been in the top 100 for all business podcasts on Apple, top 50 for all entrepreneurship podcasts, which, by the way, thank you. Mm-hmm. It's so humbling. Um, the, the feedback we get from people, and this is why th- this is my recommendation, is we're so transparent. I mean, we are like, we talk about everything. We ask our guests to talk about all the things they did poorly. Sure. And the feedback we get from people is often they say, thank you. And I said, for what? And I'm expecting them to say, oh, for doing the show. So thank you for making, helping me not feel like a failure. Being a successful startup founder and entrepreneur means you're, okay, they say in baseball, if you get a, if you're, if you're right as a hitter 30% of the time, you're about a Hall of Famer. Hall of Famer, okay, yeah. If, in entrepreneurship, it's about 10%. You're going to fail like all the time. I mean, all the time. And if you struggle with that or you don't have the ability to bounce back or, I don't know. People take failure differently. What Mike Tyson said, everyone had a, has a plan until they get punched in the face, right? Mm-hmm. Well, entrepreneurship is going to punch you in the face the moment the bell rings. And, um, you know, that's the excruciating part of it. I, I, I will say you got to be careful. Um, I, I like to encourage people to do something that's theirs. And there's never really a right time to start it. You have to jump and build wings, man. And, you know, just make sure you have the stuff to build the wings before you leave, mm-hmm. the, before you leave the cliff. Yeah. Uh, that, that impending doom of the canyon floor will make you build those wings faster. But, yeah, so it's uh, as far as getting out there. And then the main thing is just do it. You have to just do something. Like, how many people do you talk to? That, okay, so having written a book, I, I, three books, I have had, oh, man. A thousand people. Yeah, I, I've been working. I've been working on a book. I'm writing a book. Cool. How long have you been working on? It? Nine years. How much have you written? Well, I mean, I'm. I said I'm gonna write it. Like the best advice I can give you is go home and write something right now. And you know, people try to make things perfect. You know, the, I, I'm one chapter in after three years. Well, I'm still revising the first chapter, dude. That's what an editor does. You know, so you just got to do it and 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 know that. A lot of it's going to be garbage and get thrown in the trash. I just mean in life. Yeah. You know, it's just the way it goes. And, um, you know, people are going to remember you for the great stuff you do or the abysmal failure. Mm-hmm. Just be good at one of the two. Yeah. You're yeah. going to be yeah. good or be yeah. good at sucking, yeah. right? Sure. sure. <laughs> one or the other. By the way, there are people that literally make a business out of being good at sucking. Like some of the most popular business podcasts are just about failure. Oh, Yeah. That, that's that. Well, they always say that about baseball players. Like we're dealing with these new Royals pitchers that are coming up right now. They go, we know they're going to have success. We don't know how they're going to handle failure yeah. because you've had so much success. You've never had to deal with failure. And I think dealing with failure is, is more, maybe more important than handling success. Yeah. Well, it is. Um, it, it winning's easy. Everyone likes winning. Sure. But how you handle, you know, failure. And that's, that's why you get, you know, so many athletes, they don't want to play on losing teams because they don't handle it well. And then you look at some of these like college football players. They're on an undefeated team, and now they're on a four and eight, or you know, four and twelve team in the NFL. Yeah, you know, they're not used to it. It's college basketball coaches that go to the NBA, where mm-hmm. you're hoping to be five hundred. You know, it's just like a different. It's a different feeling, and 
um, when you're winning, no one's blaming you for all the bad stuff you did. When you're losing, it sounds like it's coming through a, you know, a broadcast antenna similar to what you've got here at 610. Yeah, it's magnified. All right, I want to talk to you about Kansas City in general, too, because it seems like every time you turn around, we're getting ranked for some, you know, for tech cities, places to move, startups, all kinds of great things are happening here right now. Why is Kansas City such a great place to be right now for the stuff that you're involved in and for the tech industry and startups and all that? So there's a lot of different opinions on this, and and a lot of the lists that you'll find, I, I don't give any... I don't give any weight to because mm-hmm. they're not based in reality. But overall, Kansas City here in our what twenty fifth biggest media market, uh, we we are a top ten entrepreneur city, and there's some factors that went into that. Uh, I think Google did us a huge favor when they brought Google Fiber here because it it created this catalyst for early stage startups, and a lot of people moved here, and a lot of people started doing stuff because that the the concept of that bandwidth and the availability of it. Um, was intriguing to a lot of people, and it brought some extra venture capital here. Um, some other things uh, bode really well for Kansas City. Well, first off, it's affordable to operate here. So if you have a startup and you're in San Francisco, and you know, we're in a small room in this recording studio, this would rent, be like 2500 bucks a month or something in, in, in San Francisco, and you could get 5,000 square feet in KC for that. Um, there's a few other things that I think people don't consider. Being in the center of the country, uh, makes us an ideal hub for like transportation. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of transportation businesses here. And then um, a lot of animal health and insurance related stuff, the uh, animal health corridor. And so the agriculture type stuff, uh, you know, comes in here. But I think really in the end, there are uh, a lot of people here that are interested um, in the longevity of the entrepreneurship scene and it started you know you thank you mr mr k yeah because the kaufman foundation's nationwide and uh barnett hellsberg also from kansas city you know, th- those two guys alone and their families have put significant money into like that i love the name hemp the hellsberg entrepreneurial uh, mentoring program and the kaufman foundation does a lot of different stuff and and that's, you know, you mentioned earlier, why don't we have enough programmers? Well, we didn't start 30 years ago. Here, a lot of, there's a lot of programs that are available through Hellsberg and, and Kaufman that get entrepreneurs started young. And that's, that's a key. You got to yeah. cultivate that a little bit. So where, where do you see the future in, in 10 years from where we are right now? Where do you see Kansas City in an entrepreneurial tech center type of, uh, type of town? I mean, I think we're always going to be what we are. And I think we have to wrap our arms around the fact that we're not Kansas City, that we're not New York, Boston, or Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. So I'm okay with that. Um, I, I know a lot of people in all those cities. And every time I talk to them, they, they seem to be like, it's almost like they, they have a weird fantasy with how affordable it is to operate here. Tell me again how much your rent is. You're like, wait a minute, what? Like, what, what are you doing? You know, but, but that's the, that's the point. And, yeah. and there's a level of accessibility and uh, openness. And, you know, another thing here. So ultimately with all that, though, why, why aren't more people moving there? They are. Here, they, are. they are. It's happening uh, not just here, but a lot of different places. Um, so in Silicon Valley, which has just this massive population, like I think every other person in San Francisco is a startup founder. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. You know, and you're counting the homeless ones too. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. probably why they're homeless, right, but, yeah. they, but they, but it's true. And you know, the, so the battle for uh, talent, uh, meaning like people is excruciatingly 
painful and deadly. So a lot of these companies are giving up. They're like, hey, I'm coming to Kansas City. I'm coming to St. Louis. I'm going to Omaha. I'm going to Austin. Like Austin and Denver are great examples of what I'd like to see Kansas City emulate. Mm -hmm. How do you get to that level, though? Just keep doing what we're doing. Um, You know, a lot of people here complain about the lack of, of capital, that flows in. And that is not true. Like the Kansas City's had over a, in the last, I think 18 months, over a billion dollars of venture capital pour in here. And that's legit. And now some of that, you know, like Sandy Kemper's company at C2FO has raised $200 million in capital. Now that's a startup, man. That's a startup. And that's really uh, John Thompson and pay it have raised over a hundred million dollars. And then you have a whole lot of stuff that's ancillary along that way. And, you know, there are things that are are occurring and popping up, like the Enterprise Center of Johnson County has a new fund, the Innovation Fund. And we just partnered with full, so full scale invest in businesses, too. And that's I'd like to talk about that Mm -hmm. uh, if we could, because I think it's also up to businesses like mine and other people to continue to cultivate the stuff. So we over the last year, full scales invested over seven hundred thousand dollars in local startups. And I'm also proud to say that more than half of that is with minority or female-owned founders. There, was, That wasn't intentional. I, it's funny. I didn't even realize that until like three weeks ago. Yeah. yeah I don't look at founders as, as anything and entrepreneurs as anything than that. But I looked at that and I said, oh, wow, that's, that's great. But uh, so we, we put resources in. We, we make our capital contribution and buy-in by providing the tech that you need. And in a business like Full Scales, the nature with 200 employees, I'd love to tell you that 100% of them are busy generating revenue with clients, but that's also would would be a fantasy. Mm-hmm. So, in order for us to maximize the value of our excess capacity, similar to what I was doing with Gigabook years ago, we we use that bandwidth, and uh, we've invested in five different businesses. Wow! Yeah, uh, and how do you, how many more do you see on the horizon? Is it endless for you more. guys? More. That's part of our business model. So that number, which I still have, hey, if you've got a great startup, reach out. I've got three hundred thousand dollars left in the uh, in the original million dollars that we pledged. Mm-hmm. How do they reach out to you? At fullscale.io. Fill, fill out the contact form. Okay, it's that easy. That yeah. easy. Yeah, and uh, and we'll talk to about anybody about different stuff and. Um, you know, some of the people that we've invested in have been existing clients of ours and we see them and we were like, man, you know what? They're, they're good at what they do. And maybe we could give them a boost, get them to the next level. And then, uh, you know, we know a lot of people as well. So, you know, we've helped some of our clients find additional funding, which has a trickle down. They, they want a bigger team at full scale when they do that. So I'm okay with that. But, you know, one of the things that we're really proud of right now is healthy hip hop and Roy Scott. And that was a local business that struggled for a little bit for reasons that I'll let Roy tell you on a future podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And it's an amazing story, but they just got accepted into tech stars Atlanta, which is a big deal. That's, that's like the startup equivalent of making it to Hollywood on American Idol. Now they haven't won yet, Mm -hmm. but that is typically a precursor. It's a very intense uh, entrepreneur program and accelerator that he, it's three months long. Like Roy had to go to, he's in Atlanta for three months, Jeez. which is also like a, a Mecca for hip hop. And he's going to get in front of a lot of people. So uh, that's already popping. That's a content delivery network that, um, that schools can put in the classrooms that uh, get kids up in between class for like a minute or two just to move, just to not be fat yeah. and exercise. And um, and we put uh, close to four hundred thousand dollars in that one. Wow! And that, but that's really, really going well. And 
Uh, we've just done some different stuff, like mixtape the game. Did we play mixtape when you were on the podcast? I think we did. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you know right. that, that's an example. And you talk about how, how can you help a local entrepreneur scene. So not only did we invest in that business, we hired the founder at FullScale. He's our chief marketing officer. But this was a guy who had a, created a card game. You pull, we, you pull a card out and you, say, and you read a scenario. Uh, what song is playing while you ride a unicorn over a rainbow? And everyone names a song, and then you vote for who wins. It's a lot of fun. You learn a lot about your friends. Sure. Um, but he had sold 100,000 of these games in 14 different countries and couldn't get anyone here to listen to him about building an app. I, so I said, hey, man, I'm not going to write you a check, but I'll build you an app. I don't know how long it's going to take, but we'll make it cool, and we want to own a third of the business. And he's, he's perfect. Now that was a great deal for us because we let that be the thing that our we have we assigned one app developer to it full time, and then when our other app developers are in transit in between projects, they stop and participate in it, and we're able to use our our employees to test it in a group if we need. And it's been a lot of fun, no doubt. That yeah. sounds like a lot of fun, just yeah. from, from a from a consumer standpoint, like to have the game on your phone and to play that game on your phone seems you, like awesome. You can if you have Spotify Premium, you can play mixtape. Uh, on iOS and Android now. Okay. Which it's funny, you talk about being real and raw on our podcast. We did the announcement for to announce this, the mixtape app. Uh-huh. Thing crashed while, during the podcast. And we're, we, it would have been easy to uh, edit that. Yeah. And, and we're like, we're not editing this because we want you to know it sucks building software on many days. Yeah. So yeah, that was that was kind of funny. But All right. The last thing I really have for you. What, you, you use the Denver... Austin comparisons. What's truly holding Kansas City back? Uh, I mean, some, in some regards, population. I mean, it's not fair to compare a city with half the number of people in it. Now, Austin's probably smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, not much anymore, though. No, I mean, it, I, they're similar now with Denver. I mean, hey, man, Colorado, Colorado made weed legal. Yeah. And similar to Google Fiber putting up a signal flare over our city because we were the first city that had gigabit internet. And I think people are like, ooh, my internet's faster. That really did attract a lot of businesses to move here because if you, a good inventor's thinking about what they want to build in eight years, not tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And so we did attract a lot of businesses that needed that bandwidth and some other stuff came with it and, and all that. Um, it, for Colorado, they got a whole lot of, uh, they got a, saw a lot of bit, uh, just general influx of population, tax money, businesses, and that general economy <clears throat> um, really, it, you know, it helps businesses in general. You, th- if you, you might own a software company that does something for cars, uh, but the chief's doing well brings pride to the city. People are spending money doing other things, and then maybe that trickles down to whoever your software whoever uses your software in the car industry is now selling more cars. You know, there's just weird effects that have to do with that. But, um, I mean, I, you know, I think the, the main thing that Kansas city has done, I grew up here is, you know, it's cool to live here and there's cool stuff. Like downtown is cool again. Mm -hmm. I I mean, I'm sorry if you disagree, but 25 years ago, I did not want to go downtown. It was terrible. And it's, and it's made a resurgence. And with that, there are other things we have a lot of theaters and events, the Sprint Center and, and different stuff like that. And, and you know, I think people I, – I meet people all the time on their first trip to Kansas City. And I say, well, what do you think? And they're like, this is not what I expected. And, and they mean that in a very good way. Mm-hmm.
So I, I and I think we just got to keep after it. And I don't think it's fair to compare Kansas City to New York. Right. It's just not. It's just not the same. It's not the same. It's not the same size. It's not the same density. And you know, it, it, I mean, I think we just need to accept what we are and put ourselves in. Kind of like the Royals. Do we expect really expect the Royals to compete with the Yankees every year? Not every year. No, but you know we can we can have some good runs at it too. Right. And I think that when we and I think that we have to identify when those things are going well and wrap our arms around them and just continue to develop the farm system along the way. They always say in life, anything is possible if you put your mind to it. And Matt DeCourcy is living proof of that. He's doing great things for Kansas City. He's putting Kansas City on the map worldwide. And he's letting people know that this is a great town to come to, to have a startup, to have a business, and basically just to live life. Matt DeCourcy is a great ally for Kansas City. And we're lucky to have a guy like that right here in our town. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.